Sleep is a state of great possibility. Your desires played out right before your eyes in the midst of a dream, or your greatest fears culminating in a nightmare. But luckily, in reality, we are safely tucked into our beds. Or are we? From the outside, 23-year-old Kenneth Park seemed to have it all. A loving wife, a newborn daughter, and a secure job. But behind the facade was a man riddled with anxiety and insomnia fueled by an addiction to gambling. He fed his addiction with his family's savings and by stealing $30,000 from his employer. But when the company found out in March of 1987, Kenneth was fired, leaving him in debt, facing criminal charges and unemployed. Then everything fell apart. On May 23, 1987, Kenneth got up in the middle of the night and drove 14 miles to his in-law's house. Once there, he let himself in and repeatedly beat his mother-in-law on the head with a tire iron before stabbing her multiple times with a kitchen knife. Kenneth then beat his father-in-law, Dennis, into unconsciousness. It wasn't until he got back into his car that he woke up. Panicking at the sight of blood, he drove himself to the police station where stunned authorities listened to Kenneth hysterically confess that he'd just killed his in-laws while sleepwalking. Police noticed Kenneth didn't seem to be feeling any physical pain from the severed tendons in his hands, a side effect of extreme stress or shock, but also of sleepwalking. Kenneth was put through several sleep and psychological tests and the results indicated he suffered from parasomnia, a sleep disorder characterized by abnormal behaviors, movements, and thoughts. Coupled with his lack of pain just after the attacks, the doctors determined he was sleepwalking throughout the savage murder and he was acquitted of all charges in 1989. A middle-aged couple in Sydney, Australia believed they had a happy marriage. They had been married many years and had remained faithful throughout their entire partnership. The husband long ago learned how to cope with his wife's quirks, her sleep-talking and her occasional spells of sleep-walking. But then he began finding used condoms in the house upon waking, and over time, as more appeared, he grew suspicious. One morning, the man woke to find his wife was not in bed, and when he went searching for her, he found her having sex with a stranger, but she was completely asleep. Upon awaking, the woman had no recollection of her late-night trysts, but thinking back to when the mysterious condoms first started appearing, the couple realized she'd been seducing strangers in her sleep for months. Doctors did an in-depth clinical analysis and the test results convinced the experts that the wife had sexomnia, a condition in which a person commits sexual acts in their sleep. They believe stress and her history of sleepwalking also contributed, but the woman made a full recovery through psychiatric counseling and the couple returned to their peaceful marriage. One might think alcohol would help insomnia sufferers get a better night's rest, but for chronic sleepwalker Jules Lowe, alcohol made things much, much worse. Following the death of his stepmother, Jules got together with his brother and his father, Eddie Lowe, for a night of drinking and reminiscing. But it wasn't until after they all went to sleep that things turned ugly. 
Jules got out of bed and attacked his father, kicking, stomping, and punching the elderly man until he was lifeless. Eddie suffered a total of 90 injuries, including a broken nose, 12 rib fractures, and a brain hemorrhage. But Jules remembered nothing of the murder and revealed his deeply troubled history with sleepwalking and alcohol. Jules was put through what was referred to as the most detailed scientific test in British legal history to uncover his sleep patterns. It was ultimately found not guilty based on his sleepwalking defense, but believing he posed a threat to others, Jules was ordered to be confined indefinitely to a mental institution. In 1880s Paris, France, there was no better detective to call than 35-year-old Robert Ledrew, who made a name for himself disbanding black magic cults and imprisoning a multitude of anarchists. In 1887, Robert was on assignment when local authorities told him he had a new priority, solving the murder of André Manet, who had been shot to death on the beach the night before. Right away, Robert noticed something odd about the killer's footprints in the sand. They were missing their big toe on the right foot. Robert himself also had no big toe on his right foot and remembered waking that morning to find his socks were wet. Stunned, Robert told police of his suspicions that he himself committed the murder in his sleep. As an experiment, he was locked in a cell with a gun containing blanks, and surely enough, in the middle of the night, he rose from the bed and began firing rounds at the jail guards. Robert managed to keep his career even after the murders, as doctors determined his stress and allegedly his untreated syphilis were the cause of his violent nighttime acts. Taking extra precaution, Robert moved to the countryside and was accompanied by medical personnel and guards to tend to him until his death in 1937. No one in Timothy Brueggemann's life suspected that the 51-year-old had suffered severe insomnia for years. However, several of his close friends eventually learned he was taking Ambien, a popular prescription sleep aid, the side effects of which resulted in Timothy crashing his pickup truck into his garage in his sleep. But the worst was yet to come. In the cold winter of 2009, Timothy had another sleepwalking episode. He wandered outside of his house barefoot in negative 20 degree weather, completely oblivious to the cold. He was found dead in the morning, wearing only his underwear and a fleece shirt, lying almost 200 yards away from his house. Ambien was heavily associated with sleepwalking spells, even to the point where people were shoplifting in their sleep. But Timothy also didn't follow the warning label and often would take his pills with alcohol. Police believe it was a deadly concoction of Ambien alcohol and sleepwalking that led to his death. Ivy Cogden, a single mother from Carnegie, Australia, had a fierce love and overprotectiveness for her only child, 19-year-old Patricia. Ivy's unconscious fears over her daughter's safety manifested in incredibly vivid night terrors and sleepwalking episodes. While incredibly realistic for Ivy, the episodes were harmless at first. On the night of August 11th, 1950, Patricia mentioned she would possibly be working as a transport driver should the Korean army attack Australia. That night, Ivy dreamed Korean soldiers invaded her home and were attacking Patricia. She picked up an axe and swung it down on her daughter's bed, thinking she was attacking a soldier. The next morning, she found out it hadn't been a dream at all. Patricia's head was fatally smashed in from the lethal blow. 
and authorities arrested Ivy to await trial. Ivy pled not guilty due to sleepwalking, and experts agreed, calling her a hysterical sleepwalker who was more susceptible to blackouts than most. The jury believed the devastated mother, and she was acquitted on all charges, but the heartbreak seemed too much for her, and she died just two years later in a psychiatric hospital. Florida resident James Currens hoped to live out his retirement in peace despite his long history as a sleepwalker. But on a Monday night in 1998, the 77-year-old woke to find himself in the midst of a real-life nightmare. James fell asleep, but the next time he opened his eyes, he found himself chest deep in a pond, his feet suctioned to the muddy bottom. James then felt something brush against him in the water. An alligator, he soon realized. He'd fallen into an entire pond of them. Luckily, James sleepwalked with his cane still in hand, and he used it to keep the alligators at bay as he yelled for help. A neighbor who heard James' terrified screams called police. When authorities arrived, they used flashlights to scare away the alligators, just long enough to pull James out of the mud. Physically, James was unharmed, but his nights spent with the alligators likely haunted what little sleep he did have for his remaining years. 44-year-old Vernon Sillick knew that keeping family close wasn't always easy. The taxi driver was estranged from his brothers and found out on April 7, 2008, one of them had died of a drug overdose. But Vernon had a good relationship with his parents, Faye and Robert Sillick, and they grieved together. There was no bad blood between them, but that was about to change. On the morning of April 9th, Vernon woke after a night of heavy drinking to find the bodies of his parents. Both had been kicked to death, and Vernon had blood on his steel-toed boots. He was arrested and told authorities he had a long history of sleepwalking and couldn't remember attacking his parents. Investigators refused to believe him as Robert and Faye's bodies were positioned after death, which didn't fit with the mindless, autonomous act of sleepwalking. Also, at the time of the murder, Vernon's blood alcohol level was around 0.397. While friends heavily defended Vernon's sleepwalking story, the jury wasn't buying it and convicted him of two counts of willful murder, a life sentence with a minimum of 15 years. Vernon's friends felt a great injustice had been done, but several family members were satisfied with the conviction as they'd lost two loving, devoted grandparents to horrific violence. On August 17, 1943, the Kiger family was enjoying a quiet evening on their 20-acre farm in Boone County, Kentucky. Carl Kiger, the vice mayor of Covington and father of the family, locked up the house and put his two children to bed and fell asleep next to his wife, Jenny. Carl was comforted by the fact that should any intruder break in, he had three pistols to defend his family with. But it wasn't a stranger Carl had to fear. 15-year-old Joan had inherited her father's horrific night terrors and often walked in her sleep. That night, she claimed she had vivid nightmares about exchanging gunfire with shadowy figures. But when she woke, the terror was real. Her six-year-old brother, Jerry, and her father had been shot to death. Her mother, Jenny, was injured but still alive. Joan rushed to a neighbor for help, crying about how an intruder had shot and killed her brother and father. When authorities investigated the crime scene, however, they found all 15 of the gunshots fired came from the Kiger's own guns. 
Joan and her mother stood trial for the murders, but both were ultimately acquitted of all charges. Though there were family members that felt Joan was very capable of such a crime, despite her age, and believed she got away with murder. A loving, sleep-deprived father keeping a dark secret was a recipe for disaster in the case of 50-year-old Joseph Anthony Mitchell. He was attempting to stop his home from being foreclosed, all while trying to provide the best life he could for his three young children and their mother. But the stress weighed so heavily on him that he suffered horrible insomnia. Then, when he finally did sleep, his worst nightmares came true at his own hands. On the night of September 22, 2010, Joseph's daughter, 13-year-old Alexis, woke to see her father wearing a Halloween mask, strangling her brother Devin. She sprinted to her mother for help and went to check on her younger brother, 4-year-old Blake, whom she found dead. He'd been strangled. Luckily, Devin survived the incident and Joseph was taken into custody. During the trial, the defense claimed Joseph was sleepwalking during the attack as the result of his non-REM parasomnia. But a psychologist testified that after multiple examinations, he found no mental reason Joseph could have been sleepwalking the night of the attacks. Prosecution even accused Joseph of planning the murders, but it wasn't enough to convict him. The jury delivered a unanimous not guilty verdict, but jurors felt they had no other choice. The judge would not allow for a lesser conviction of manslaughter, so it was first degree murder or nothing. But while Joseph walked out of court a free man, he was homeless and financially ruined. And the new nightmare of day-to-day -day living was a crushing new reality. Hello there. I'm very glad you made it. Sometimes our lives can be so busy with work or school or other responsibilities that we want nothing more than to just hang out in bed alone and have no one bother us for as long as we wanted. So what if you were given the opportunity to do just that? How long would you stay there? A few hours? Perhaps a few days? Maybe even a few weeks? While this idea sounds like a far-off dream, NASA has made that dream a reality for many willing participants. Even paying participants $18,000 just to stay in bed for anywhere from two months to three months straight. Movement was severely limited, though. Even sitting up or lifting your head was forbidden. While this sounds good on on the surface, making decent money without doing seemingly anything, the participants are literally not allowed to leave the bed for any reason during that time, aside from perhaps certain infrequent and very short tests. Eating, bathing, and using the bathroom all in a bed with a slight tilt to it, making it so your head is lower than your feet, and you continuously kind of slide into the headboard. So would remaining in bed day in and day out truly be a dream, or would it be a nightmare. This specific NASA study gained a lot of attention recently when memes began circulating around the internet regarding it. These memes were often similar. They generally outlined what NASA was offering in the smallest amount of information possible, such as NASA is offering to pay you good money just to lie in bed. And people would comment wildly about how that would be the perfect job for them. And while many people were surely just kidding around, we can be confident that of all the people who have heard of the study, plenty feel that the study would 
be like getting paid to be in paradise. So what is it like to take part in this lucrative NASA study? In 2014, the experiment attracted Andrew Ivaninsky, a laid-off artist who was looking for a chance to make money while taking time away from the stresses of adult life. With the opportunity to make five figures by lying in bed for 70 consecutive days, the opportunity seemed like the perfect chance to make some easy money. The first few days being trapped in bed, Andrew's spine began to hurt immensely and his head began to ache as well. This was all said to be normal, however, the sleep deprivation he experienced as a result made him panicked. By day five, in a noteworthy amount of pain, Andrew felt like he wouldn't be able to complete the test, especially after his first bowel movement, which took days to occur. But once his spine and the rest of his body seemed to adjust, around a week into the test, it was everything that he hoped it would be. Andrew was allowed to play video games, watch TV, write to family members, or do almost anything, as long as he was lying down and wasn't picking up his head. Yet, after about four weeks, the novelty of a sedentary life began to wear off. The study took a toll on Andrew physically, with him losing 20% of his total blood volume, as well as experiencing a reduction in bone density and the wasting away of his muscles. This is due to what is summed up by the old saying as, move it or lose it. Your muscles, for instance, need to endure resistance, whether it be from exercise or just the natural force of gravity. The human body doesn't like unnecessary burdens, and it won't work unless it has to. So if you're not using the muscle, there's no point in the body supporting the muscle, and it may even feed off of the muscle for sustenance. This is because muscle is a metabolic burden that the body doesn't want to take if it doesn't need to. Muscle is also a fuel source when a person is starving to death, so this function of the body is actually a survival mechanism, as well as it is an act of perceived laziness. The change Andrew endured to his body was so great that at the end of the study, when he was assisted to stand for the first time in months, he experienced an increased heart rate, itchy skin, and heaviness in his legs, and collapse from being upright for only eight minutes. Andrew, just 70 days prior, was in great shape, often training daily for competitions. Lying in bed made him weak and feeble. So what's the point in making a person lie in bed for months and sacrifice their functionality? Well, it's not just to see what would happen if a person were to lounge around for too long, but to see the effects of microgravity on the human body to help astronauts who go into space for prolonged periods of time. Because the human body is accustomed to the pressures of gravity, when in a less weighted state where the body is experiencing less gravitational force, the composition of the body will begin to change. Because our bodies experience a similar state while lying in a particular position for prolonged periods of time, tests like this help scientists test the limits of the human body in this suspended state. And while scientists have been able to record the physical consequences of living this kind of a lifestyle, there are also psychological effects. Although there were other participants taking part in the study, Andrew began to feel a sense of emptiness as the days began to drag on. As the experiment went on, fewer and fewer researchers would tend to him, making him experience long periods of isolation, in which he said he began to experience a psychological change. He found that he began to become more irritable with his daily surroundings surroundings and routine, feeling that the staff that waited on him did not fully understand or empathize with his situation.
situation. Even more, he found that his isolation made him more reclusive. When he would interact with the researchers, his responses became more short and practical. As the weeks went on, his emails to loved ones became shorter and more scarce, as well as phone calls to his family. Even though he was allowed communication, his willingness to communicate diminished substantially from his place trapped in that bed. To make matters worse, when loved ones were allowed to see him, contact was strictly prohibited due to safety reasons. When his girlfriend came to visit, she was instructed not to sit on the bed or even eat in the same room as him. As Andrew's situation became more and more apparent to him over the last few weeks, he began to experience moments of fear and anxiety, feeling as if there was no end in sight. Although he said there were positives to the experiment, such as the relaxation it offered at times, he often felt that he was, in a way, trapped. And considering he was the final test subject to finish the experiment, he spent the last half of his time during the study in almost complete isolation. Compared to other examples in science, Andrew was actually quite different than your typical bedridden patients. Andrew was young and healthy. Before you can even be accepted into the program, participants have to pass the Air Force physical to make sure that they are well enough to lie in bed for so long. Apart from these participants, most people who find themselves lying immobile in a bed are the sick or elderly. And although we know the physical ramifications of what happens when an immobile person lies without movement for long periods, with an extensive list of ailments such as blood clots, bed sores, and muscle weakness, we are also learning more about what being bedridden does to the mind. Along with the physical symptoms, those who experience long amounts of bed rest can often experience depression, anxiety, and tension. If a person is ill when they are confined to a bed, the stress of illness or injury can increase these feelings of emptiness and panic, turning what once could be considered a safe haven into one's own personal hell. Even more, if a person is subjected to long periods of alone time like Andrew was, they can begin to experience hallucinations. In a study conducted on isolation victims, almost all experienced some form of hallucination, whether hearing or seeing. Over time, they would begin to endure a loss of logical and verbal reasoning, affecting their attention and their perception of time. Seconds felt like hours, especially for those without a window to the outside world. During Andrew's time at the testing facility, he was not able to to see the sun for almost three months. If he had less contact with people who could tell him what time it was, when it was time to eat or when it was time to sleep, it would have been easy for him to lose track of the days, causing time to go even slower than he said he felt it had. Making matters worse, those that do experience isolation can often find that when they do return to the outside world, they have a hard time shaking their altered sense of reality, as well as the paranoia that plagued them in their loneliness. Perhaps the biggest reason scientists have concluded why isolation is so detrimental to humans is because of how we have evolved over time as a species, believing that we developed emotions to aid in cooperating among our early ancestors. Because of this hard coding in our systems to interact with others, a lack of interaction has often been shown to have adverse effects, causing the person to have a distorted sense of self when there is no one to bounce any kind of emotions off of. And though similar studies have been conducted over the past 15 years in the United States, none come quite as severe as its Russian predecessors. 
1986, 11 men between the ages of 27 and 42 were coaxed into a year-long study in which the subjects would be confined to a bed for 370 days. Once finishing the study, each man would receive a new car, which for the time was hard to acquire. Headed by physician and research cosmonaut Boris Murakov, the men would be allowed to partake in almost any activities, including exercise, as long as it did not require sitting up or standing. The men, who were divided into three groups during the experiment, not only faced the physical consequences of their bodies beginning to waste away in pain, but the study also changed many of their lives forever. Tensions in the room became so high that one man had to be moved to a different location. Despite this, the men became closer to the researchers and each other during their year in confinement, while becoming more and more distant to their families and loved ones. Many of the men who were married at the beginning of the experiment became divorced soon after, with one of the men falling in love with one of his researchers who tended to him. Although this study was not the first of its kind, it was the longest that has ever been conducted. So this is the part where I questioned you. I asked on my Twitter if you would participate in a similar three-month study for $18,000. Here's what you said. Thousands of you answered this week's poll with 38% of you saying you would absolutely take part in this test without an issue. 24% of you said that you would absolutely not take part. 35% of you said that you'd possibly take part but weren't sure. And the remaining 3% of you said that you wouldn't only take part, you'd take part for less money. So what do you think? Is it worth the money? Or perhaps maybe you'd do it if it paid more money? Perhaps you would never do it at all because you're not willing to sacrifice your mind and body for money? And as always, remember, if you want to learn anything, you have to question everything. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way, because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care, and enjoy your next episode.